Good morning. Uh, happy Father's Day, everybody. Glad to see you here. And it's wonderful to be in the house of the Lord to worship God together and online. Welcome to those of you that couldn't come in this morning. It's good to see you here with us as well in the spirit. We're grateful. Um, I'm Pastor Bruce. If you've not met before, welcome everybody. We've got a special service today because it's not only Father's Day, but uh, we're going to hear a little bit more about our team heading to uh, North Africa and also just to celebrate who we are in Christ. That's the most important thing, who we are in Christ. We have a Heavenly Father who loves us very dearly, and we're here to love Him back and to celebrate and worship together. So with that, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank You that You are the Father. You are the Lord Almighty. You made us. You shaped us. You mold us. You give us, Lord God, the gift of grace that we can receive salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you, God, that you give us inspiration, that you give us hope, that you are the means of life and eternal life. And so, God, thank you for your provisions. Thank you for your protections. Thank you, Lord, for your never-failing love. Thank you for the good discipline you give us, Lord God, that shapes our lives. Thank you for friends and family here. We're grateful that in the church we are a family, your children, under your roof. And we thank you, Lord, that we've come to praise you and give you glory today. May your Holy Spirit touch all of our hearts and minister to us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing. Let's stand. Yeah, let's all stand. We're going to sing of the love of our God that nothing can separate us from his love. And it is never ending and always ready to give. Rescue me. I will sing for. 
Father, we thank you, Lord, on this special day of Sabbath worship, that, God, we come into your house to draw strength from you and refreshment and encouragement. Help, Lord God, and just the wonderful blessings of your grace that just helps us come to you in worship and in prayer and in service. We thank you, Lord, that you love the world, and that world was opposed to you. The sin nature in us, Lord God, rebels against the law, rebels against ethics, rebels, Lord God, that we want to do it our way. We want to think we know best. Lord, thank you that you are patient, long-suffering, and so very loving that while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And Lord, we thank you that that great love moves our hearts, that we want to desire to love you back that, Lord God, we know that our struggle isn't with our relationship with you. You've secured that. Lord, our struggle is with the sin in our lives. That we want to honor you, Lord. We want to love you. We want to love our neighbor 
that's in their best interest, Lord God, for your glory, your way. Lord, thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you, God, for the hope that you give us, the residence of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. Thank you that you move us and transform us, that you reshape us into the likeness that you have in mind for us. Lord, we praise you. We give you glory and thanks in Jesus' name for all that you are and all that you do and all that we are in Christ now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. We'd like to invite the team that's going to be leaving here this shortly on the mission trip to come on up and share with us the latest, and we want to pray over them. We should be going, woo, 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 go team, go. <laughs> it's way too quiet. <laughs> Good morning again. So we are taking off next week, um, and it's very exciting. So um, I don't want to go into a lot of details. Some of you know some of them. Know that we will be sending out on the email some updates. We have some very special opportunities. I'll leave it at that, um, for potential divine conversations and influence. So we just ask you to be praying for us, for our students, um, for unity for our team as we come together, um, and safe travels, and for all of our luggage to arrive along with us. <laughs> so some of us have some multiple stops along the way, um, with connecting flights and things and there's a lot of people coming in from a lot of different places so not just for us but for our greater team just be in prayer for us so thank you so much we so appreciate knowing that we have all of you here standing behind us lifting us up and believe us when we say we feel it it is amazing to know that we have such a wonderful support system Boy, putting me after that, I tell you. I have a slightly different reminder. So last week we had a young man who gave a glorious testimony of being saved from all kinds of things. It was so wonderful. I don't have that story. I was basically a toddler and I asked Jesus into my heart because I wanted to make him happy. And so that's my story, and I still want to do that. But, you know, it's not always comfortable. We're going to be uncomfortable a lot, but you need to be uncomfortable too because that's part of what glorifying God is all about. So I, I beseech you, I beg you to look for the ways that God wants you to move and glorify his name this summer. So there's a follow-up to that. You ready? Here you go. Okay. It's not my phrase. Somebody else has coined this. Oh. You know, we serve, a, we serve a really good God, but he's not always safe. Right. So keep that in mind as you think about everything that we're doing, too. Mm -hmm. we, we're called to be uncomfortable at times, mm -hmm. right? That's just we're allowing God to work through us. Yes. Sacrifice. Yes. So... The two things I would say for us, it's D-Day. So for those people that know about World War II, our D-Day is Departure Day. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, so D-Day tomorrow, and then we take off Thursday. Brenda and I take off Thursday. So the last thing I wanted to do is, is kind of fill you in just really briefly how the email chain will work for those people who have signed up for it. You can still sign up for it. There's sheets in the back if you want to finally get on it. Basically what will happen is we're going to, uh, we'll send our updates to the church office. And then the office will respond to you as an email coming out. That keeps us safe because you won't be able to respond back to us directly. All those questions would go through the church office. But that just keeps all that communication stuff safe. But that's how it's going to work. So as they come in, you'll get those because you're part of the group that I set up for all that information to come out. So she'll forward anything that we do. So hopefully it's not just, we're, we're gonna have some practical stuff too, like maybe shots of the airport or you know things around town so that you can kind of get an idea of actually walking with us on what we're doing. All right, let's pray for you. All right, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it is a treasure to see a trinity of believers heading out in the name of the trinity. Lord God, we thank you that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will be evidenced in their work there. That, Lord God, your glory will shine. That your Holy Spirit does greater things than we could even begin to imagine. We pray, Lord God, that you open up those individual opportunities. That the students there, the, the PhDs, everybody they run across, Lord God, would be curious, moved by your Holy Spirit to ask questions that can lead deeper and deeper into the richness of Christ. We pray your protection over them. We pray for the practical stuff like luggage, health, team unity, being one in the spirit, Lord God, with a common cause. Lord, we know Satan wants to get a foothold. We pray that that will not happen and that, Lord God, you will give them endurance, the water, and all the other things they're going to need to be fruitful, Lord God, for your great work. We thank you for your calling in their lives. We thank you for the calling on us now to support them in prayer. And Lord God, may we, as Brenda said, be in ministry as well with them here in this nation for your glory too, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so very, very much. Uh, before Gabe comes up, you're next. I want to show the Father's Day video. I just got a cute little one. It's oh, first, can I just do a oh, yeah, yeah, you can do whatever if you want. If you have not seen that the Super Thrift Store has opened, it is now open. So those of you who are here and heard from Team Challenge last week, stop by, check it out. Yep, and we brought some stuff up too, and the guys were really great about lifting it up onto the uh, loading dock, so you won't have to right. worry about and anything. Right, and also the, there's some uh, door hangers on the countertop here in the office. If you wanna pass them around your neighborhood or uh, people that you happen to talk to, give them one of those so they are well aware of, of the ministry there. Is there anything else? Okay, uh, I'll take that mic. Um, I wanted to show you just a little bit of a, of a video that I picked out for Father's Day. It's how kids imagine how their dad does things around the house and functions, okay? So let's see what they think. The first thing my dad does when he gets up is go make the coffee. Okay, who wants coffee? I want some coffee. Okay, first I smash the beans. Then I mix them up. And then I pour some cream. And then I heat it up. And then I drink it. Here you go. This is delicious coffee. Thank you. 
Next, he fixes the car. Run, here you go. Oh, uh, nail. Um, light bulb. All done. Then he probably has to fix the sink, too. Hand me a hammer. Bang, bang, bang. Hand me a pipe. Hand me a popsicle. Why do you need a popsicle? Because it's delicious. He likes to cheer at my sports games. Yeah, kick that ball. Score a basket. Goal! Then he grills the food. What are you grilling us for dinner tonight? Hamburgers. Hot dog. Mac and cheese. Cheese. Mashed potatoes. Strawberries. Raspberries. Blackberries. Mmm, sounds great. Then he prays for dinner. Thank you for our cat. Thank you for our friends. And thank you for the world. The friendship never ends. Amen. After dinner, we played games. I played Uno. You want to play Uno? Sure, yep. A blue five. I have a blue two. A green two. Draw four, 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 draw four. You have to draw 5,024 cards. Then he tells me a story at bedtime. Once upon a time, there was a dragon in the castles. He is a fire-breathing dragon and an ice-breathing dragon. And they all live happily ever after. The end. My dad always encourages me. I'm so proud of you. I'll always be there for you. I love you and Jesus loves you very much. You are a really great kid. Happy Father's Day to all the dads. You're the greatest. Yep, thanks, bye. See you later. Break a leg. <laughs> Cute. Yeah. Kids' perspectives are always fun, aren't they? Um, okay, let's have Gabe come on up now. He's got a couple of announcements for us. Hello there, Isabel and Rachel. Is, is Isabel going to do the talking for you today? All right. Come on, just. So as a, as a new father myself, I can say it's very accurate. You know, she says all those things about me. So there you go. Um, but anyways, um, I'm up here, not for Father's Day, uh, because as the youth pastor, uh, I am calling on our church for a little help. Um, so our youth group is doing very well. So if you guys don't know, um, we have about an average of about 15 to 18 kids coming on a Wednesday night. So um, it, uh, it's fun. It's awesome. Uh, I do already have um, an adult leader that comes consistently, Amanda. Um, but that's a lot of kids in a wide area for she and I just to be able to take care of um, and watch and have conversations with and be able to pour into on a Wednesday night. Um, and so I would like to call on anybody who has any desire at all to work with kids. Um, you could be young, old, somewhere in between, um, but the Lord calls us to be willing. And if you're willing and you have that desire and the Lord's putting that on your heart, I just encourage you guys to be able to um, just like contact me um, or just talk to me today um, after church. And I would love to be able to talk to you about volunteering with the youth 
and being able to make a difference in their lives um, because they're awesome. Um, and I just, I'm blessed to be able to be working with them, and I'm blessed just to see the Lord's hand moving in an awesome way, um, both numerically and spiritually with our kids. But uh, I need some help. And the more hands, the lighter the work, and also the more fruit we can um, kind of harvest from the awesome harvest of the Lord's growing up. So, yeah. And also, Isabella says hi. So yeah. There you go. But thank you. Thank you. Um, also, if you were interested in the ministry in the nursery, um, let us know, too, in the office. We'd love to have you participate <laughs> in all those good things. So, uh, and then if somebody were interested in youth group ministry Wednesday nights, it's n they don't have to feel like obligated every week. There could be a team rotation kind of a thing, or would you prefer it to be more of a regular? I would say I would prefer consistency um, because especially with students, like consistency is key. If you're only there every now and then, I mean, they'll be comfortable with you and that's fine, but it won't necessarily be as meaningful of a relationship for them. And I think especially as kids are growing up, relationships are huge. Um, doesn't matter the age, the relationship that is there matters a lot. Mm -hmm. I do appreciate like if somebody wants to step in and help with food or help with um, maybe just setting up and tearing down stuff. Um, that's also very appreciated as well. Um, but consistent adults there during the service for, you know, multiple weeks. Uh, and I would ask, like, maybe for, like, a two-month commitment. That's eight weeks, um, eight Wednesdays um, at the very least, if you were to do it temporarily, just to really kind of have that consistency, consistency with the students. So, yeah. Awesome. Good. Want to make sure we knew. All right. Well, the kids are free to head down the Sunday school wing now. And we're, oh, we're going to sing one more song, aren't we? We're going to sing a song. Hang yeah. on, everybody. I forgot. We're in a little diff different service <laughs> today. So. Well, the cool thing about this song. Let's stand it's and It's nice sing. that I followed uh, our youth pastor. Um, we were going through the song. One of the, one of the verses says, holy words of our faith handed down to this age. And I was just thinking about how are we doing handing down the word of God to the next generation. And that's all about what our CE time is about and, and that, but just in my own life with my own grandchildren and the kids that I meet, am I handing down the word of God? So, um, yeah. That was kind of cool connection. Okay, here we go. Words 
kids are free to head down the hallway now. Please be seated, and youth group as well. For those that are remaining in the sanctuary, I'd like to encourage you to turn to the ancient words That's of right. the good word of God, which is just as relevant today and forever as God is. Um, Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. Do you not know, brothers, that, for I'm speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So then if she marries another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress, even though she marries another man. So, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies, so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. Indeed, I wouldn't have known what sin was except through the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law hadn't said, do not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. For apart from law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from law, but then when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Did that which is good then become death to me? By no means. But in order that death might be recognized as sin, it produced death in me through that which is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. Lord, we pray that these words would make sense to us all, and that, Lord God, we would really value again your grace and your mercy to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, that we have a nature within us that still wrestles with sin. And we ask now that your Holy Spirit fall upon each and every one of us to renew our minds and refresh our spirits. And may we walk truly in the, in the Holy Spirit's steps. Help us to follow closely in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a bit of an a interesting passage, isn't it? I mean, it's hard to at first grasp what it is that he's trying to say. The piece that we're at now in Romans, this chapter 7, has to do with the law. And he's probably speaking to Jewish Christians at the time who are very familiar with the law, and he uses illustrations and analogies that would connect with them. But there were also Gentile Christians in that community who were probably God-fearers and very familiar with the law as well. So we can't say it's for the Jews only, and so if you're not Jewish this morning, you can relax and ignore it. This is for all of us, the principles that lie behind it, the value that we find in it, we're going to draw out. What is the purpose of the law? How can we function within its scope? And 
Does it have that condemning impact on us today? Can we ignore it? What parts of the law are relevant? We'll look at more of that next time as well. But here, I wanted to give you a little survey of where Americans stand on law. It's very interesting. I said, what do Americans feel about the law today? Basically, you can Google it, and you get all this research and Pew surveys and everything else. The one that caught my eye was one that was done just last March, just a couple of months ago. It says that half of Americans agree that just because something is illegal doesn't mean it's immoral. And the same percentage would say that in reverse. Then also, I, this one really uh, surprised me, two-thirds of Americans believe that if we abandon all law, things would be worse, which was surprising because one-third of our fellow Americans believe if we abandon all law, things would be better. And I can't imagine how that would play out. In the Old Testament, someone, and, and it, there's some debate about how many exactly there are in the Old Testament because some are repetitious, but estimations are that there are about 613 different laws in the Old Testament. And they're divided into three categories. They're, they're all found in the first five books, by the way, the Torah. There are 238 that say, do this. And then there's 365, I guess one for every day of the year, that we're not supposed to do this. So there's quite a number of them. The most widely known, I think, are love God, love neighbor, and the Ten Commandments, which explain those, right? Those are probably the most widely known. But there are ceremonial laws. There are also civil laws, how to run society. And then there are ethical laws that are aligned with God's nature and will in our lives. Paul wrote, we've been released from the law. What's he talking about? What does it mean to be released? Are all of the laws in the Old Testament irrelevant, including the ethics? Are the Ten Commandments no longer commanding? What do we do with that? We've been released from the law. And if there are applications, which ones? Do we follow all the Jewish ceremonial laws? Well, we obviously don't. Do we follow all the civil laws? Well, we obviously don't. So, what about ethics? Which ones still apply? Well, the law that Paul's speaking to and that's the first point in your outlines, is the law. The law itself is a rather narrow scope or concept in the book of Romans. About 90% of the time, it's a very limited piece. It's between Exodus 19 and Exodus 24, where Moses is on Mount Sinai, and he receives this new covenant, this mosaic or Sinaitic, Sinaitic I can't say it right, Sinaitic, anyway, you know how to say it, I don't, on Mount Sinai, that was a conditional covenant. If you do this, you'll be blessed, God said, and if you don't do this, you'll be punished, God said. And this was the new covenant that they'd received called the Mosaic one. Well, in that context then was the law and the Ten Commandments. And so when Paul speaks about the law, he's really thinking about that piece of it. Sometimes, though, it means a principle, like a general sense of things, but normally that's what he has in mind. And seven is dealing with our relationship with that. As a Christian community in Rome and as a Christian community here this morning, what relevance does the law have? Does this apply or not? Where do we draw the line? How do we know? Well, for Paul in Romans so far, he's really addressed the law in many, many negative ways. It's negative impact on our life's outcomes. For instance, it makes you well aware of how far short 
of God's glory, we fall. We're not as good as we think we are. We fall far short, and we sin. It also increases trespasses. Now, when I was growing up, I was never sure what the difference was between sin, iniquity, trespass. The Lord's Prayer is always awkward. We saw that last Sunday when Teen Challenge was here. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Several people in the congregation said trespasses. And when I have a mixed company, so to speak, I usually pause. Forgive us our debts. And then I wait for the trespass crowd to catch up. And then I go, as we forgive our debtors, and then I wait for the trespass crowd to catch up. Because they have more words to slip in there, right? Well, debts, sins, trespasses, iniquities, what in the world's the difference? There are three main differences. Sin is a generality, a, a widely used, covers all bases kind of thing. Anything that's out of balance or out of sorts with God's original divine design, that's sin in its widest application. We may, not, we may know it, we may not know it, it just is in itself sin. It's not God's plan. Then there's iniquity where we twist the truth that we know. We shape it into our own liking. We like it better this way. I know that's what it says, but I would like to modify it so that I can achieve it or dismiss it. That's fiddling around with the truth, and that's iniquity. And then there's trespass, and Paul says that the sin increased our trespass. In other words, God said very clearly what we should or shouldn't do, and it was so clear that we knew when we stepped over the line. We're not trying to change the law. We simply step over it, step past it. We know we've done it. And the law said more clearly than anything else, you just stepped over the line, my friend. That's a trespass. And Paul says, been there, done that. It was as clear as the day is long, I trespassed. The law just amplified that. And then we also know that disobeying even one law is to break them all. That's what James understood in James chapter 2, verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. That's quite a statement because people had come to believe that if you could obey certain parts of it, you'd be all right. And the truth is, to break any part of it is to break all of it. You're, you're on the outs with God. So the law really has negative consequences. Only Jesus fulfilled the law. Only Jesus was sinless, which means that everybody else from Genesis 3 clear through to today has fallen short of the glory of God and are sinners, and we are therefore condemned by the law. We're in trouble. The only way out of that dilemma is to be rescued, and that is Jesus Christ. This is the message of the Scripture. So the law never saved anybody. It couldn't do that. It only highlighted sin. It couldn't highlight the forgiveness of sins. That's what the law of God brought. So in order to be saved, we have to get out from under the law. That's the only way out. And we can't do that on our own because we can't make up our laws. We can't make up rules and regulations. We can't twist the truth. God's the one that set it up. God's standards are God's standards, and we can't mess with that. So then how do we get out from underneath the law? Well, the second point in your outline is this. Our death frees us from the law. Our death frees us from the law. 
This is not saying that we're under the law until the day we die. There's something more here than meets the eye. There is a way, alive now in this congregation, where we have died and we are no longer under the law. And it says this in verse 1. Do you not know, for I'm speaking to men who know the law, that the law has authority over a man only as long as he lives? Well, that's a fact, right? In Oregon, we have some really weird laws. And until the day I die or I move out of Oregon or I'm out of state for a while, these laws apparently apply. You want to hear some good ones? Uh, these are my favorite ones. There's a longer list. You'd guess that would be true in Oregon, wouldn't you? Strange things. These are my top four that I really enjoyed running across. Number one, I cannot do weddings on ice skating rinks. That's out. I've not been asked, but now I know I must refuse. Okay, no whistling underwater. That's out. Don't do that. You cannot eat a donut and walk backwards on a city street in Marion County. Just don't do it. Okay. Marion, Marion County's got some of the stranger ones, and, and this one really struck home. <laughs> Marion County ministers are forbidden Bidden to eat garlic or onions before their Sunday sermons. And, and Jenny would add to that law, drinking coffee. So I have brushed my teeth before I came in. Yep, so I'm under those laws, as you are, until I either die or I get out from underneath the laws of Oregon in another state. See, this is what Paul is saying, while you're in the state of Adam, you're in that state of original imputed sin, when you're in that state of animosity with God, you are under the law. The only way out is to die. That's, you know, it doesn't mean we're supposed to go out there and kill ourselves, now we're free, right? There's something more, as I said, than meets the eye, and it's been achieved by God for us in Christ, as you could hopefully guess, right? And this is where Paul brings out the illustration. He says, let me give you an illustration of where the law has its end point. And he talked about, in verses 2 and 3, in the example of marriage. When your spouse passes away, you are then no longer legally married to them, right? The law recognizes that, and you are free to remarry, and all is well. The same thing would be true with the law of God in Scripture. Those mosaic rules and regulations, all those 613. When we die, we're free of them and free to remarry, free to have a different union, a different relationship. And that Paul uses then as an example. And it's there for you in verses 2 and 3. I won't read those, but those are there just by way of example. And I would say this as you read those two verses, don't squeeze out of verses 2 and 3 more than Paul intends. It is a simple example, not meant to go as a deep dive into a relationship, but just keeping it simple helps us. Then thirdly, because we died, we're f we fruitfully belong to Christ. Here's where he explains how we get out from underneath the condemnation of the law that highlights our sin and not our salvation. This is the means out, a way out that God provides in verse 4. So, my brothers, you also died to the law. You're, you're no longer wed to it. 
through the body of Christ so that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. This is the heart of what Paul's getting at. This is where our freedom comes. This is where we can live in love and not in anxious worry and perfectionism and all the other things that sometimes people get caught up in. These are the good words that Christ died on the cross, and when Christ died, Paul already told us earlier, we died with him. We're in Christ. We've been baptized into Christ. When he was crucified, by God's perspective and by faith, we were crucified with him. We actually died with Jesus in that spiritual sense and came alive. And when Christ rose, we were guaranteed eternal life. The old union, that, that trap that we were like a closed loop of sin and death that we could never escape from on our own, that death of Christ on the cross brought us with him. And in Christ Jesus, then we have died to the law. Then we are free to have a new union. We're no longer bound to those restrictions, the do's and the don'ts. We are now free and alive and saved and forgiven in Christ Jesus. This is the point that he's making for people that are very rule-centered, very perfectionist in their pursuits, very legalistic, Judaizers, some would call them. You got to do this, you got to do this, or Jesus isn't enough. I simply call it the Jesus plus plan. Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. Now it's up to you to keep it going. That's the Jesus plus plan. There's no grace there. That's works. That's a horrible place to be as a believer. And I've been there in my life in early years. I did not understand grace. Paul is saying, you're not trying to satisfy the law in order to make God happy. You're not trying to gain points so that God owes you salvation. It's a free gift. And when you died with Christ on the cross, you became liberated from that old way, and now you're free in a new relationship, a relationship rooted in love. And the grace of God guarantees eternal life and the forgiveness of our sins. Romans 6, earlier, Paul put it this way. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Do you see it? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The old has gone, the new has come. Liberation freedom from the law. When he says we died, it wasn't our activity. The verb is passive. It just happened to us. Jesus is the one that actively did it. We passively then died with him through faith. That is God's gift to us, that we no longer are under the law. Salvation then is like remarriage. 2 Corinthians 11.2, Paul writes, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you one husband to Christ so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. Now again, it's just an analogy. It's an illustration. It's, for guys, it's kind of weird. I'm, I'm Jesus' bride. I mean, now in today's society, I know that probably flies, right? But, but this is strictly an illustration of a new relationship with the Lord Almighty, the maker 
of heaven and earth, and we are his children. We are no longer slaves to the law. We are no longer under the condemnation that the law highlights. We're now free, liberated, redeemed. Children no longer under the yoke of sin, as the scripture would describe it. That's a burden that we cannot carry and get out from under. Jesus did it for us. This is Paul's point. And I love, because coming up in a couple of Sundays, we're going to get to this verse, but I couldn't wait till then. Romans 8, 1 is really one of my favorite ones. You'll look at this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. None at all. Not even a twinkle in the eye, not even an elbow in the ribs, not even an insinuation of, well, yeah, no. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. That's, that's freedom, isn't it? If the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. We're not going to stand before God someday with any doubt in our mind that we are forgiven because Romans 8.1 makes it so clear. If you're a believer that Christ died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins and rose from the grave, he's coming back someday, right? We'll face the Lord in judgment. This says there's no condemnation for those of us that have God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. No doubt about it. You're not under the law. You're in grace, in Christ. What a wonderful freedom. Now that ultimate new union then bears fruit to God. It's kind of like having kids. It's like giving birth to a new generation. You're going to give birth to good fruit, fruitfulness to God. And again, it's just an illustration. But what kind of fruit can that be? Well, there seems to be two parts to this. One is attitude and the other one is actions. The attitude you might find in Galatians 5, it says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are great attributes, wonderful fruits that the Holy Spirit gives us and molds us and shapes us into. How many of us were impatient before we came to Jesus? Now, how many of us are still impatient in Christ, but we're learning to be more patient? This is the work of the Holy Spirit. You look at these fruits, and these are the attitudes that we are called to cooperate with. And I know for me personally, patience is something that God is growing in me. I'm a, maybe a, more on the type A managerial type side of the house, and I like things to click right along, and I'm, I'm learning as time goes by that patience is one of the w- most wonderful attributes. It really does bear fruit. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness. I mean, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. An attitude in our lives that reflects these many wonderful attributes will really gain a hearing for Jesus, won't it? You're such a kind person. The love I see in you is tremendous. You know, these are attributes that transform people's attitudes towards you and me. These bear fruit for God. And then there's actions. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Workmanship means a work of art. We're all like a canvas that God painted. And not a single painting is identical. So Jenny's got a piano in her painting. And I've got a pulpit, I guess, in mine. 
all of us have something in our painting that allows the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the talents and the abilities that God gave us to rise up, unique to each one of us. So how can you bear fruit to God? Let the attitude of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit dwell in you richly, Scripture would say. Renew your mind. Say to yourself, I want to have a life of joy. That doesn't mean giddy happiness. Woohoo! It means a constant, steady, you could say a steady faith and trust in Christ no matter what the circumstances are. People might say to you, how can you get through this? How, how can you endure the pain? How can you get through the suffering? How come you're not as miserable as I am? The answer is, Jesus is my rock. I know Jesus has got this. That's what joy is. That constancy that having Jesus in your life brings. Hope. These are the sorts of things we can all work on demonstrating, bearing fruit to God. Then also our actions. What is it that's on your canvas? What's in that picture frame that's just you? Your uniqueness, your calling in life. Uh, I think the missions team brought it out. What are your plans for the summer to bear fruit to God? And then after the summer's over, really it's a lifelong bearing, isn't it? That's what we want to do. That's our calling in life. Then Paul gives us a final comparison to consider, sort of a before and after look, just in case we're not convinced. He says this, five, verses 5 and 6, For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, we've been released from the law so that we serve in a new way, in the Spirit, or of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. Before we were Christians, we had an external coercive authority called the law. Now, when I was growing up as a kid, the external coercive authority was mom and dad. You will be home by X, Y, Z. You will not have dessert before you eat your dinner. You will not have more than one cookie. I knew where it was. If you ever wonder where the scar came from, I disobeyed the law. I got on a stroller reaching for the candy box, and away I went, right to the floor with my tooth going right there. So I bear the scars of my transgression. I trespassed. That's external to me. I didn't internally want to right? Before you're a Christian, your, your debate, your argument, your turmoil is really with God. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the turmoil is not with God. It's with sin that dishonors God. There's a whole different attitude and perspective that goes with being a believer in Jesus. The law is no longer something I'm reading on paper, the law is in me. I want to do the right thing. That's a great transformation. Verse 8, Paul says, But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of covetous desire. This was the struggle that Paul has, and we all know it. 
We all know it. We're all a little bit rebellious at heart. How many of us, this is great. This, I think this will bring it out emotionally. You've got to feel this. How many of you really enjoy the word obey? How did you feel? Not what you think. Did that create any kind of feeling? It does me. What's my instinctual sin nature going to do? Obey? Well, this had better be good. Or I'm not having it. Right? There's something in us that just kind of pushes back, and Paul recognizes that. But he says, before, it was all with God. It just, God bugged me. I wanted to be on my own. I wanted to call the shots. Isn't that what Adam and Eve decided? The serpent said, you'll be just like God. You can decide what's right and wrong. You're smart. You can do it. And they did. And they sinned, and we died. The same thing goes on all the time. The honeymoon with the baby lasts until they're 15, 16 months old. Then you know what happens when a little baby turns 15, 16 months old? They realize they're an autonomous person. They realize they're an independent being. And what does an independent being then start to do? Act independently. And that is inherent in all of us. We don't realize that we're not independent from God. We're one in Christ Jesus. But there is in us if the sin nature in us that says, I want my freedom. I want to be liberated. I want to decide for myself. I want to be self-actualized like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is not based on anything, and he was an atheist to boot. I don't want the hierarchy of needs to reach the top of the pinnacle because society would be ruined in two seconds. The God that we know and love has transformed our lives that the law still exists, but now there's a different motivation. I'm not coerced that I have to love my neighbor. I want to love my neighbor, and I feel bad when I don't. And that's inside, not outside. It's not a church coercion. It's not a job occupation, job requirement. It's not human resources. It's not a family member. It's the Lord at work in our hearts. And so Paul says in verse 10, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. He thought at first that he could obey willingly the law, and then he found out that he really couldn't. He was deceived. He was deceived by cultural teachings, rabbis, statements, what he imagined through his learning that he could do this, that he could be a righteous man, that God would be pleased with him. Then when he really lived it out in his life, he found out, man, I, I can't do it. I was deceived. And he realized what a sinner he was. And he came to faith in Jesus. So afterwards, he would write this in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us. That's he paid the price of slavery for us to set us free redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Christ died setting us free. Now, then what benefit do we have with the law? This is where I want to end up. What good is the law in our lives if Paul says all it does is highlight sin, we realize what a mess we are, and we might even feel condemned if we don't know the grace of God in Christ Jesus yet. What good does it do then for a believer 
if we're free from the law? What part of the law applies? Does any part of the law apply? Do we walk in the love of Christ? But then what does that mean? We walk with the law of Christ. I don't know what, there's never really definition in the Bible, but it says that. How then do I live my life? Well, I think for me personally, the law's benefits for believers. I can give you what I was taught in seminary. Uh, This came up in seminary classes and the literature and stuff, and you read it. And here's the bottom line. There are indeed about 613 or so laws in the Old Testament. And they are in different categories. Ethics, civil, ceremonial, all that. We read our Old Testaments, we take it to heart, yes, there it all is, but then we go to the New Testament, we're free from the law, we carry out the law of Christ, we walk in step with the Holy Spirit. There seems to be a big difference between the two. Here's the law that still applies. If the New Testament repeats it for the Christian community, it applies. Simple. If it's not reiterated for us in the New Testament, it no longer applies. That's the best way you can go about it. So for, I'm not wearing tassels and certain clothing items. I do eat non-kosher foods. You know what I mean? There's a lot of laws in the Old Testament that the Jewish community obeyed, but we don't have to. The entire debate in Acts chapter 15 was about what would Gentile Christians have to do? And they came up with four basic things. They're very simple, very straightforward. And it was because Moses had been preached for so long in order to get along together, please at least don't do these four things. But inherent in all that is the ethics. The Ten Commandments, for instance, are repeated in the New Testament except one. Do you know which one? We worship on Sundays. The Jewish Sabbath is on Saturday. The only law that's not reiterated is Sabbath in the New Testament. So are we free then? Yeah, because otherwise you, you can read in other passages ceremonial days don't really matter it's up to the individuals to decide what to make of them so these are the guidelines what about drunkenness yes don't get drunk the bible says that what about adultery and sexual sins yes the bible says don't get caught up in that Uh, just all kinds of things are reiterated in the new and they're all ethical what did jesus sum it all up with love god with your entire being and love your neighbor as yourself which means Love them in what would be for their best interests as Christ would. In other words, you would do yourself good, right? That's what you'd want to do for your neighbor as well. So we've got the law still, but it's not coercing and it's not condemning. It's guiding us. And so I sat in the office today and I thought, what could it be that as a Christian today, we can recognize the law and respond to it and benefit from the ethics that are still there in Scripture. I mean, Jesus even took the ethics even deeper. Remember when he says, if you even hate somebody, it's murder. If you even lust after somebody, it's adultery. It is a far deeper issue than just the superficial big terms that were used in the Ten Commandments. Jesus takes it right down deep. Is that really loving God? Is that really loving your neighbor? He really brings it out in the deepest, richest, completely good way that only God can do, and Christ Jesus. 
ethical laws. Galatians 5.13, you, my brothers, were called to be free, but don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. There is a difference between what the sinful nature, Paul would say later, the members of our body want to do, and what the Holy Spirit would want us to do. The Westminster Confession of Faith also says that only the Old Testament ethics apply. So we're right in line with that. Now, what can the law do? These are the things that I thought up. I haven't seen it in any books. I, I just sat there and I thought to myself, okay, Bruce, as a believer in Christ, what benefit then do we receive from these ethical laws that God has given us in Scripture? And I came up with uh, 12. There are 12 apostles. I figured I got to come up with 12. So I labored the last two, but I came up with 12. And these are the ones that I, I thought of. One, so then the law is holy, the commandment is holy, righteous, and good. Paul says so. Then none. We understand God's holiness much better. How holy is God? We understand God better when we understand what our ethics are that he's given us. These are God's ethics. This is how God behaves. These are the values that God has. Okay, good. Thank you, God. Now I get to know you better, how holy you really are. We understand God's will much better. I understand that I'm not just to not murder somebody. I'm not supposed to hate anybody either. Love should be the dominating attitude in my life, right, with the Holy Spirit. So I understand that better. We understand what God expects of us much better. We understand or we can examine the quality of our service to the Lord much better. How loving am I? How caring? How much have I shown faithfulness to the Lord? These are the things we can judge ourselves by. We can distinguish between good and evil, truth and deception much better. Thank you, God, for telling me not to murder somebody. Thank you, God, for telling me don't covet. Now, the interesting thing, I won't go through it all, but Paul mentioned coveting of all the choices. He chose coveting because coveting is an internal kind of hidden thing. You can covet and nobody would know. Inside, you're saying, ooh, I really want what they have. And Paul says, even that internal, hidden from everybody else, sin in my life, God sees it. And the law called me up short on it. In fact, that may have been his particular issue, coveting, that caught his attention. And he realized, wow, I do covet. I am a sinner. Then let's look on some more. Uh, we can be more fruitful, fruit that glorifies God and has an eternal impact. We looked at that. We are humbled by the law, freeing us from self-centered pride. Much better. Oh, Lord, I fall short. I get it. Keeps me humble. Keeps me grateful for God's grace, and that's only appropriate. We're subjects to God's truth, not feelings or opinions. Much better. What is our world telling us? They're like creating a whole new morality. And they're pushing it and promoting it and everything else is going on. Where can we distinguish the truth from the deception? Where can we find truth from falsehoods? The law, the ethics of God. Thank you, God. We're also, we can recognize our sins much better, prompting our confession and repentance. When we think about the ethics of God, we can go right on our knees and say, God, I, I am short of that. I need help with patience. I need help with kindness. I need help with faithfulness. 
it's, it, you can be more honest and in, with integrity with God, right? Thank you, law, for that. 7b says, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law hadn't said, do not covet. It just exposed it for Paul, and it was allowing him then to repent and to turn back to the right way of living. We worship God with renewed gratitude and love for his grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. How many of us haven't come to worship and heard the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and said to ourselves, you know what, I really am grateful. Thank you, God for the forgiveness of my sins. Thank you, God, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Wow, I felt condemned this week. But those are just my feelings. The reality is, I'm not. Thank you, God, for renewing my mind. Satan wants to take me down. God lifts me up. Thank you, God. We mature in Christ as we apply God's ethics in our lives. We know where we're going with this. We know what we want to do. Thank you, God, that we're going to grow that way. And then, interestingly enough, the last thing that occurred to me ties into a video I'll, I'll close with next. We share the law so others can better receive and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's only good news if there's bad news understood. Paul says, I realized what a covetous person I am bringing him to Jesus. People need to understand the ethics of God, and when we can gently, lovingly, and respectfully point this out through Scripture, not personal opinion or opportunism as such, you know, to manipulate anybody, we just want to say, here it is. This is God's plan. Love God, love neighbor. This is how it all plays out. Do you think you match up? Do you think you reach the pinnacle of perfection on those things? Maybe it needs some specific example. It might then awaken in them the awareness that they need a Savior. They can't get out of that loop. They're stuck under the law. And then we can bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the table. Um, the fellow that I'm going to show you now on the video, it's his personal testimony. His name is James Tour. He is a brilliant nanoscientist. He grew up Jewish. He grew up to be a nominal Jew. He was kind of a cultural Jew and not a... Uh, Orthodox Jew or Hasidic Jew, he gives his testimony, and it, it revolves around the Christian community that was brave enough and sensitive enough to be able to share with him God's ethics, and then what the Holy Spirit brought to fruition through that. So let's watch. I got my PhD in the field of organic chemistry, postdoc at Stanford University, joined the group of a man who was going to win a Nobel Prize in chemistry, voted one of the top 50 most influential minds in the world. I was a visiting scholar at Harvard University. I've spoken at every major university in this country, have over 650 research publications, voted the R&D magazine Scientist of the Year. I'm in the National Academy of Inventors. I'm a member of the American Association for the Advancement of Science. Over 120 patents started seven or eight companies. We work in areas that range from medicine to material science to electronics, computer memory, medical devices. We work across a broad range of areas. But more than any of that, what means the most to me is that I'm a Jew who believes that Jesus is the Messiah. 
grew up just outside of New York City. I thought everybody was Jewish. I didn't even know that there was anything else. I had no particular interest in that, other than when all my friends were getting bar mitzvahed or bat mitzvahed, and then I would attend, of course, every week. There was never really any excitement for me. I remember once I even tried to talk to a, a rabbi. He just brushed me off. There was very little explanation for me. I remember uh, when I went to college, I started meeting a number of people that said that they were born-again Christians, which was sort of an odd term. I was, what's born again? What do you mean, born again? One person saw me in the laundry room. He said, do you mind if I give you an illustration of the gospel? And I remember we sat there and he actually started to draw a picture, a cliff with a, with a man on one side and he drew a little man and then another cliff with God on the other side and a big chasm in between that he labeled with sin. And I looked at him, I said, I'm not a sinner. I've never killed anyone. I never robbed the bank. How could I be a sinner? And he had me read a verse from the Bible, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In modern Judaism, we never really talked about sin. I don't remember ever talking about sin in my home. So he turned to another passage. Jesus said, I say to you that everyone who looks upon a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Pow! I felt just as if I had been punched right in the chest. Here I was, new in college. I didn't think anybody knew. I would pick up these magazines and I became addicted to pornography. It was just through those magazines. And all of a sudden, Something that's written in the Bible, somebody from live, who lived 2,000 years ago is calling me out on it. And I felt immediately convicted and that now I realized I was a sinner when I read in the scriptures what sin is, then I knew I was a sinner. How am I going to get to God? We Jews know this better than anyone else. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. This description in Isaiah 53 of how he will bear upon himself my sin, the things that I had done, and this was him. This was the man that took this upon himself on the cross. The perfect God comes and gives himself for us. He is the one that gives himself for us. I started to realize how Jewish the New Testament is. This book is so Jewish. The New Testament is so Jewish. It's all around Jewish people. And then on November 7th, 1977, I was all alone in my room. The realization that Yeshua is the one who died on the cross. And I said, Lord, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Come into my life. And then all of a sudden, Someone was in my room, and I opened my eyes. I was on my knees. I opened my eyes. Who was in my room? That man, Jesus Christ, stood in my room. This amazing sense of God. Jesus was in my room, and I wasn't scared. All I started doing was just weeping. The presence was so glorious because he was there in my room on that day. And I didn't want to get up. 
And this amazing sense of forgiveness just started to come upon me. That was it. Finally, I got up. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to tell. Here's this Jewish kid from New York City. What am I going to say? My cousins were shocked. How could you do that? You're Jewish. Telling my mother how I had invited Jesus into my life. She didn't say much. She was weeping. She told my father they weren't happy at all. And she said, I don't blame them for killing Jesus after the things that he said. Who is he to come against these religious leaders that have dedicated their lives to helping people and to tell them that they are whitewashed tombs? Who is he, this young man in his 30s, to say this to these scholars? He got what he deserved. And my mother's a very deep, pensive, careful reader. She read from Genesis right on through the Tanakh, the whole thing. When she got done, I said, what did you think? She said, God warned us over and over again. He warned us. When my daughter was about 15, my mother and father came to visit us. At one point, my mother went into her room for several hours. She came out. She said, what a young girl you have. She talked to me for a long time. She started reading the Bible again, both the Old and the New Testament. One day, not long after that, she called me on the phone at the age of 72. She said, Jimmy, you wouldn't believe what happened. I said, what happened? She said, I was just reading. And it hit me. It hit me. The way he gave his life. I believe it now. Jesus is the Son of God. Wow. I thought that'd be a... It just does... That's the sermon. Um, not, it's just the coolest thing ever. We sometimes want to shed ourselves of the law. You know, we don't want to embrace it. We want to embrace the world. We want to get along. We want to coexist. We want to massage things so that we're liked and we fit in. And, and the truth is that somebody had the guts to say, you know, you're a sinner. And he said, no, I'm not. He said, well, read this. And it was the word of God that transformed his life and the power of the Holy Spirit came. It wasn't an argument. It was just, there you are. And I think when we can share the ethics of God with the world around us, there will be resistance. He didn't accept Jesus in the laundry room. Do you notice he said later on in my room by myself? The Lord led him to that point. And that's what we're looking for is our faithfulness to the word of God, the transmission of God's ethics to the world around us, to not go into the morality that's ever shifting, but to stand on the promises of God and the ethics of God. And we will see lives transformed by the power of the Spirit. But they need us to be true to the law, the ethics of God. And so I just thought I'd pause this morning, and if you've been moved by that, that testimonial, let's just let the Spirit move. I'm just going to be quiet for a minute. And if you have something to share with God, do that as he did. And I know the presence of the Lord is right here right now. Let's pray.
you've been born again, you have a father, an eternal father. Lord, we come to you in prayer and we thank you that you, our father, love us. You love us so much that you gave us your only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, we, we know that we struggle with sin. And we'll see that again next Sunday, the explanation that Paul gives us. But Lord, right now, right here in this place, I hope and pray that each and every one of us can take Romans 8 1 to heart. There is now no, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Lord, that's a tremendous promise and a wonderful hope and a surety that comes from you. Lord, help us then to live into it. Help us then to keep our eyes on Jesus. We pray your Holy Spirit helps us to live out your ethics that the world could see what it is to love you and to love each other and that, Lord God, we would be humble in all of this because we know that we too are a work in progress, but help us then to walk in the steps that the Spirit guides us to step into. Help us to share the light. Help us to be unabashed and unafraid and unashamed of the ethics that you've given to us. The world needs that. And we pray for anyone here today that opened up their heart, as James Tour did, to say, yes, I believe. Lord, thank you. A son or daughter's been born this morning, and now you are their father. No longer bound by the law and perfectionism or ignorance, but Lord God, with love, they now know that they're your child and you'll never let them go. They have eternal life now guaranteed by what you have done for them. That's grace. Thank you so much. And help those of us, Lord God, that have been walking with you for a while. Renew our minds, Lord God. We're flooded with all kinds of media, personal opinions, all kinds of controlling language and law and everything else. Lord God, help us to stand under the temptations by your strength because we know that in you there's always a way forward and it feels good to feel good and to give you glory. Lord, thank you for Father's Day. Help us then to be men and women of faith that can bring more and more people to you, our Heavenly Father, that they could recognize your holiness and how far short they do fall and to know that there is a bridge, the cross of Christ. Thank you, Lord. May your spirit blow, and may we recognize this here and everywhere around the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. The church is one foundation.
want to memorize a verse, how about Romans 8.1? For there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Would you join me in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And may the love of the Father, and the sacrificial grace, and wand-waving elders back there, for Father's Day, they got something for you in the back, guys. Okay, I'm seeing that now. They're going like this, like a plane's supposed to stop. Okay. Um, and the wonderful fellowship of the Holy Spirit with pepperoni sticks and all that be now and forevermore. And all of God's people could say, amen. amen. God is fun. God is joy. Enjoy. God bless you. Have a great week. Come on down to the fellowship hall, too, and enjoy each other's company. Goodies. <laughs>